His name is Mr. Philip Orumese, CBE. So Mr. Philip is the Commercial Director of Information and Technology at Highways England. So Mr. Philip does have a number of years under his belt, right? So he does have an MBA in Business Strategy and Procurement Management and also a Doctors of Business um, with Aston University. So where he started moving up in his career, so he was the head of procurement at Siemens. So he did have seven years um, at that uh, organization. And then he moved to Department for Works and Pension, where he had 14 years as well on that. And also now he's currently the Commercial Director of Information and Technology. So I just said an overview of what he's all about. So I'll get him to speak, tell us more about himself, introduce himself formally to everyone. And thank you, Mr. Philip Orumese, for taking our time to join us tonight. And also everyone, Mr. Ade at Adeshina, thank you. Um, D as well, thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Jackson, Mr. F uh, Mr. Dr. LBD, and Ms. Inesh. Thank you, everyone. Uh, so I will let Philip get to introduce introduce himself, and then we can, you know, have that conversation as we go along. Over to you, Philip. Thank you very much, Silda. Um, hello, everybody. Good evening. Um, it's Dr. Philip Romense. Um, um, I work at Highways England and prior to coming to Highways England, I was a director and senior civil servant in Her Majesty's government, working in DWP in the cabinet office and the government commercial function prior to coming into Highways England. Um, I'm a first generation migrant from Nigeria. I was born and brought up in Benin City in Edo State, um, which is popularly referred to as a cradle of black civilization. Um, because my ancestors were all conquering. They more or less extended the reach of the empire to uh, as far places as Ghana, Republic of Benin, you know, Cameroon, Ghana, you name it. So they were quite a warrior tribe. Um, I was fortunate enough growing up as a young lad to be really committed to my craft, really disciplined in terms of being focused on what I needed to achieve. But that was mainly due to the matriarchal prowess of my mom, who stood solidly behind me. And um, for those of you who know about African matriarch, they can be quite um, disciplined. So that kind of gave me the focus and the discipline to um, concentrate on being the best that I, very, I possibly could ever be. Um, in my household growing up, if you came third, you're told, why did you come third? Why did you come second? If you come second, you're told, why did you come second? Why didn't you come first? So that really pushed myself and my generation to try our utmost best, not to come home with mommy, I came second, but to be the very best that we possibly could be. And I have stayed with me in everything that I've done. I, I always strive to be the very best that I can. 
Um, I came into the UK on a foreign account office scholarship um, to do a politics degree um, at Cambridge, but I transferred my um, my 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 scholarship to the University of Essex, which was the best school for politics at the time. And this was back in 1989. Um, whilst I was at Essex, I had the privilege and opportunity to meet the great and good, you know, of political leaders in the UK. Um, I traveled the world and 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 saw all of the international organizations. And upon completing master's degree, I really thought this wasn't for me. I wanted to go back home to Nigeria, and I did go back home to Nigeria. But when I got... love background noise. Can you just mute your phone if you're not talking, please? So I did go back home to Nigeria, and I was told to go and teach at a university, which really wasn't for me. So I came straight back to the UK, and uh, coming back to the UK, I believe it or not, I've done all sorts of odd jobs. You know, I've been a security guard, I've been um, a store detective, I've worked as a receptionist, I've worked in the factories, and I did everything to just get by until I got myself into mainstream work, where I started my career in supply chain management. And I've just grown and grown and grown and grown since then. So that's a little bit about me and my background. Mm, okay. Um, it's interesting that uh, you just said um, you did, you know, a lot of things before you, you know, kicked off your career. So you weren't shy of, you know, doing those odd jobs, like you said. Um, so I think how do we want to... Let, we just go along with the questions, right? And then I, I will ask the audience to chip in. So like I told you, it's very informal, right? So and you said a lot about yourself. So thank you for that. Uh, so could you just tell uh, the audience about your career ambitions and how it began? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Matilda. Yeah. Um... Like I said, earlier on, I was quite keen to succeed. And, and there's a motto that really guides me in everything that I do. And my mom, uh, you'll hear me refer to my mom time and time again, because she was really quite um, philosophical for, for her time. She used to tell me, you know, my son, it doesn't matter what you do or what you become, be the very best there is in that profession. And that has guided me. And it's the advice that I give to people. It doesn't matter if you're a driver, if you're a cook, if you're a chef, if you're, you know, if you're a doctor, be the very best doctor that you can ever be. Be the very best cleaner that you can ever be, which means people will come looking for you for your services. So um, although I read politics, um, politics is not so far divorced from purchasing and supply, procurement. So I, I found myself gravitated to doing supply chain management and um, started my career in the early days with a company called Tenneco Automotive. Um, they made car exhaust systems and, and, and shock absorbers and the rest of it. Um, it kind of grew from there. Um, I went in to join a company called GKN, again, as a senior buyer, buying access for them, prior to joining a company called Dana Spices, buying automotive parts and components. And then I got into Siemens. At Siemens, my career really took off. And, and this is really where it, it's important uh, for me to perhaps emphasize a number of things. Um, we should touch on what is now popularly referred to as, as allyship and also as um, sponsorship. 
So whilst at Siemens, I was European purchasing manager for the automotive division. Um, I had a managing director, a CEO, who really saw something in me, believed in me. This was a white guy, you know. Um, even though I was quite challenging, as you would say, Nigerian, as an African, we are quite, you know, loud and um, can be a tad aggressive at times. And I was very challenging. And But he saw something that he really wanted and gave me the opportunity to be uh, one of his inner circles. So we literally told the world, you know, South Africa, United States, Brazil, Mexico, you know, Canada, you know, we went everywhere creating, you know, different, you know, uh, plants across various parts of the continent. And so as he got promoted, you know, I also got promoted. So he left Siemens Automotive to join Siemens Business Services. He asked me to come along with him, so I went with him. And then when he left there to join Siemens Transportation Systems, he asked me to come with him, I went with him. So as he became the CEO of various Siemens organizations, I also became supply chain director for those organizations. So there's, there's value there to say, make yourself wanted, make people expect to rely on you and trust in your judgment. If you're able to do that, it's easy for them to see you as one of their um, lieutenants, people who can help them to succeed. So as they succeed, you are bound to succeed as well. So that, that really helped me. So whilst I was at, as at Cement Transportation, um, one of my um, directors there also wanted me to come and join him. So I went with him. And then that, that's how I found myself um, in 2005 as um, um, sourcing um, strategy director for DWP. Um, I joined civil service in 2005. And whilst there, I did all sorts of jobs, you know, and as you would expect, the UK civil service is quite hierarchical, it's quite structured, but it's also quite racist. You know, so although I was pretty good at what I what I what I do, it was difficult for me to break through. You know, and, and just going back to my Siemens days, I remember being in a group of purchasing managers and we were making decisions as to entry qualifications to become a purchasing manager at Siemens. And these older men were saying, you have to have an MBA to be able to become a purchase manager. So I looked at the room and I said to them, how many of you have an MBA? None of them. So I said, well, you realize you're gonna do yourselves out of a job if you start bringing this young generation of Harvard Business School type MBA graduates into, into this profession. They said they couldn't care less. So I immediately went to do my MBA, got my MBA, so my future was secured. So when I got to DWP, again, I could see almost everybody around me having an MBA. And I thought, this is not the currency now. I need to be a step ahead of the gang. So I went and registered for a Doctor of Business Administration degree at Aston University. So I got that. So if you look at most of the people that I work with, the peers that I have, I probably have more qualifications and more qualified than them. Um, I'm a fellow of the Institute of Purchase and Supplies, which is great. But more recently, Her Majesty the Queen gave me a commander of the Order of the British Empire, CBE, which is also good. So um, for me, my career has been supported and enabled by a lot of senior sponsors who saw the good in me, but also required the services that I can offer for them to be able to advance. Um, so Matilda, that's been my, my career progression to date. And I continue to work with those sponsors because 
Um, we talk, we interact, I take issues to them, we bounce issues you know, off each other. Um, recently, I was asked to do a blog by um, the Cabinet Office, Her Majesty's Government, on Black History Month. And I wrote a narrative about the, you know, paying it forward. I, whatever help and support you get from people, and I get this all the time, I mentor a lot of people, you know, I coach a lot of people, I support a lot of people, I also sponsor a lot of people, Black, White, Asian, it doesn't matter to me. The one thing they always ask me is, how can I pay you back? And I say to them, look, forget about me. There's nothing you can do for me to pay me back. But try and remember what I did for you. Cap capture that and find a way to pay it forward. You know, support someone else. Because in doing that, you are helping to plant that seed. You're creating a network of Black leaders, you know, who can help bring up the next generation behind us. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Philip. So I'll throw the questions. Any comments to the audience? I'll start with Jackson, Mr. Jackson. So Mr. Phillips said um, you need to be ahead of the game. So in your own view, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think we've all got a lot to learn from Mr. Phillips, to be honest. Um, from my field, we, we have to learn ahead of the game because we live in a world that's very challenging, very competitive. Um, new technology are coming out. You need to have a different knowledge. You need to apply your knowledge in every area. So I think, as you mentioned, in each stage is making progression. And I think that's a native in us to also build a development plan, especially for the young generation coming up. So, yeah, um, I agree. I totally agree everything as mentioned, to be honest. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, from, from, a, from, from a someone also coming from a business background, I think it's very important to always think ahead because we don't know the future. Is that to always protect yourself, think ahead, plan, have a good plan, and then knowing also maintaining relationship, as you mentioned. Yeah. Maintain relationships. So you leave a work with a good record, you maintain relationships. So I think, yeah, I've, I've, I've learned quite a lot, you know, to be honest, yeah. Okay, so, uh, okay, so uh, I can just join us, okay, I will ask now. Mr. Dr. LBD, do you have any comments? And um, Mr. No, yeah, not really. Um, I'll just second um, Dr. Philip on what he said about being uh, valuable where you are. Um, I'm going to call it to make you a value proposition. That means that they rely on you and they need your service. And um, probably back then, as he said it clearly, he was at the right time, at the right place. People discovered him, you know, as an asset, not a liability to their team. Now, I don't know how it will work today yeah. in this era. If he can just try, you know, now that he has been there, now that he has been coaching many people from left, right, front and back, how can the younger generation found themselves and position themselves when they come into a team? Because I recall, it's not easy to break through as then, even now. Because most of our youngsters, when they arrive in a kind of setting, a new environment, they try to go into their own inner shell. 
So what shall we tell them? I remember telling another one who went into a job into Chase Farm Hospital. I told him, look, you are always bringing me pictures when you're a party, you are sitting with, you know, some Africans and Afro-Caribbeans. Those guys, you will meet with them anytime you feel like. But when you go where you meet senior guys, it's not about being, you know, rejecting the others. Try not to be alone. You try to mix with them. Because in mixing with them, you're going to know each other. That's when they're going to remember you. So I want uh, Dr. Oriense to try to help the youngsters who are here, how they can go about it, to get noticed, even if they are good or not, how to build themselves. And um, that's what I want to say. Yeah. No, no, thank you. Thank you very much for those comments. I think you're absolutely spot on. And I'm going to bring Dee Gabaloto in in a little while. Dee is one of my um, is one of my Black History Month heroes. Uh, Dee and I work together at Highways England. She's also co-chair of our BAM network. I have a lot of time and respect for her because of her ability to speak truth to power. You know, she had the audacious credibility to be able to hold not just the CEO of my company to account, but also the chairman of the board. You know, so not many people have that level of courage and determination to be able to stand tall and call senior people to order. So in a minute, I'll, I'll bring the into the conversation. But before I do that, um, I think it's important for us to begin to understand the distinction between first-generation migrants and second-generation migrants. You know, I'm a first-generation migrant. Like I said, you know, I have that core discipline to remain focused, to be able to go after what I really desire and to work extremely hard. I remember my, my son, who is now 27 years old, you know, telling me that, why do you work so hard? You're always working, you're always reading. You know, when are you gonna stop reading and enjoy yourself? Go out and relax, okay? What's there for me? There's nothing there for me. I left my home, my country, you know, very nice and warm weather to come to the UK where it's cold and miserable. I don't see my cousins. I don't see my relatives. So I haven't come here to become, you know, one of the people who hangs out in the pub every night. I am determined to succeed. You might be able to learn something from it. But he never saw anything of it. You know, he's, he's well accomplished himself. You know, he's... Um, uh, a corporate underwriter for Aviva in the city of London. He's doing really well. But one day he saw me, you know, going to a conference to do a presentation. I was all suited and booted up. And this was in the city. And I said to him, oh, Dylan, you want to come with me and see what I do? And he said, Dad, I'm on my lunch break. Um, I got half an hour. I said, well, just come on in anyway. He went with me to the registration. They gave him the, bro the, the brochure for the event. And I was the headline keynote speaker at that event. You know, he said to me, Dad, is that you? I said, yes, it's me. And to get into the event, it was £795 a head. So I told the organizer, this is my son. Can I just pop in? He said, yeah. So he, he sat down. He said, Dad, I need to go back to the office and tell my bosses that I'm going to, you know, um, come back. So he went to the office, took the brochure with him showed it to his manager and his manager, when he saw the brochure and saw my name and saw my role and he nearly fell off his chair. He goes, is this your dad? And you've never mentioned him, you know? So from that day, my son came back, heard me speak, 
when the event finished, he gave me a big hug and said, Dad, I'm so proud of you. That was the first time in his entire life that he's ever said that to me, right? So there's a distinction between first-generation migrants and second-generation Africans or Caribbeans who were born in this country. We have different motivations. We have different drivers. You know, we have humility. Those of us that came from Africa and the Caribbean, we are some of the most humble people you'll ever come across. If you see me out there, you will never know that I am who I am unless I tell you what I do because I am really humble and grateful for every opportunity, every chance that I've had in this country. Whereas the children who are born here, they take it for granted, they expect it to be given to them. So I think there's a lot that we can do to try and motivate, encourage, support, guide, and mentor them. And I do that all the time. You know, um, at Highways England, where I work right now, um, I get all the young staffs together from time to time. We go on a Teams meeting, I challenge them, I try and push them forward and encourage them and motivate them. I provide directions to them. So we can do that collectively and individually. We'll start seeing a crop of younger children coming through. I mean, Dee, do you want to offer any views or any insights on any of that? Yes, yes, I do. My, um, I put my camera on now. So uh, hi, everybody. Thank you for um, ensuring uh, that um, I have uh, a voice uh, everywhere I can. Um, we are very, very fortunate to have Dr. Philip uh, at our organisation and we're lucky to have him. He chose Highways England, Highways England to choose him um, because he came in and he basically gave us a kick up the backside, said, what are you waiting for? Don't ask for anything. You have rights, even though your cluster's a minority, um, you still have rights. And he's absolutely uh, correct when he says the difference between first generation and second generation, uh, the ethics are not always the same. And we must have that talk with our children. We must have that talk with our nieces and nephews and brothers and sisters and peers and colleagues and friends that if we don't step up and take opportunities, um, and give back to our own communities, who else is going to do it for us? So being a mentor, being brave enough to speak the truth, but in a very uh, measured way. Um, yeah, some would say calculated, and I would say, well, yes, I am calculated in a positive way. Um, it is always best to uh, look to somebody else who has maybe done it before, but have your own ideas, be creative of how you want to move forward and don't uh, let go of the engagement. Um, so I think the last uh, thing that Philip had done for our organisation, uh, for our network, was to call for mentors, coaches and people to help give advice. And it could be 30 minutes a month. It could be two hours a week. It doesn't matter. Help someone, give them confidence and help them to succeed. And if they can see that he has done it and he has been um, recognised by the highest person in this country, um, we can all, they're, they're, they're a pass for everybody because we have to realise that everyone makes has to make sacrifices um, and we have to seize an opportunity uh, and we have to be brave enough to um, step forward. Uh, events such as this, 
will help us because uh, it's helping me uh, because I like I hear something new every day and I see that there is an appetite um, to share uh, career journeys and share our understanding um, you know and it would be nice uh, if we could ensure that uh, people like yourselves who are not necessarily in our organisation can join in to events because it shouldn't be restricted. It shouldn't always be restricted. So, you know, where we can include people um, who may want to uh, get through the door of an organisation, I will personally, and I know Dr. Philip, and there are many others that will offer, you know, and be available to help um, and assist wherever we can. That's good to know. Thanks for that. You're welcome. So I just, uh, Mr. Ade, because he's um, we, he does a lot of work on uh, youth community as well. So I don't know if you can hear me, if he has anything to chip in. Mr. Ade? I can hear you clearly. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I was just trying to fiddle with my video to see if it comes on and it's refusing me tonight of all nights. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a pleasure having you here, Philips. I think uh, you've come with enormous uh, experience. But one thing I picked up from what you've been saying is about uh, BIM Network. Did you say something about BIM Network? I did indeed, yes, yes. And uh, how does that work? Well, I think the best person to answer that is Dee again, because she's the chair of my company's BIM network. Uh, Dee, sorry, I'm going to bring you back in again. And then no, on the back of conversation. That is absolutely fine. Um, uh, sir, um, who has asked the question, the network is a collection of um, employees who want to participate in our network um, uh, for black, Asian, minority and ethnic. And there's different ways of saying that and there's different ways of portraying it. Um, and this network works as a, a committee and we work with the organisation to the highest level, the board and executive senior managers, policy makers, decision makers to ensure that there is a voice from uh, the uh, BAME network and BAME communities on anything that would affect us. And that is everything um, that's included as business as usual, from uh, projects to engaging with the public, uh, to ensuring that any decisions uh, that are made and any changes that are made to policies, procedures, anything going forward for equality, diversity and inclusion, we are involved and we have a say. We also put evolve, uh, events on to ensure that we support and encourage uh, people from that are not uh, represented uh, correctly in the higher levels um, of where uh, people like Philip are, uh, so we can get more. So we, our organisation needs to look like the communities that we serve. And it doesn't look like that at the moment, um, because uh, whilst we may have uh, hit the targets for uh, diversity employment. Uh, they are um, maybe employed one step up from the cleaner. Now, there's nothing wrong in starting at the bottom, but we know there are many overqualified and um, massively skilled um, uh, people from 
minority and ethnic communities that are sitting in sitting doing a job uh, which we are not getting their best skills out of and we're not attracting the best talent uh, because people may look at the boards they may look at senior managers uh, they may go for an application or a job um, and the interview panel uh, will they probably just already know it doesn't represent the, uh, the communities that they serve um, so we are there to try and make sure that um, our interview panels and our recruitment um, have a diverse mix therefore we're trying to give people uh, a fair chance uh, at the glass ceiling or green door uh, and that's what we need to do we need people from our own communities to be decision makers we need people from our communities to um, influence change and that's what the BAME network can do okay uh, thank you for that uh, uh, analysis I think it's quite helpful so what I'm trying to say now is that that's an internal within your organization or within the company that you guys work with is it Yes, yes, it is. Um, it's within uh, the Highways England and we have um, a number of other employee networks um, and a lot of organisations and a lot of government organisations have these networks because if, if, if organisations do not engage with their employees and communities, they are not going to be performing well. They are not going to be successful and they understand that diversity and inclusion um, includes equality so everybody must have a voice it's something that um, our civil service does um, and it's all in line with uh, public sector equality duties and it's also um, uh, as a stem from uh, the equality act of 2010 where everyone must be treated uh, fairly and there are nine strands there of the protected groups Okay, uh, the reason for my interest in that area is that uh, I, for one, is the former chairman of Enfield Racial Equality Council. So when you're talking about the Equality Act 2010, we were part of those that actually ensured the implementation in the London Borough of Enfield. And I am currently the cooperative party for the United Kingdom, the cooperative, which is a, a, a strand of the Labour Party. I am the BIM coordinator for the UK, entire UK. So I was thinking where we could link up, where we could, if there is anything or leverage or anything you want to work, yeah, I will be available. Uh, Matilda has got my details. If there's anything you want to expand on, because you did mention about working with the community and letting your organization reflect the community that it serves. And these are the things that we are putting forward and we put a motion to the parliament all the time to actually ensure and strengthen that. So therefore, if you do need an extension or someone to reach out to, that is out there within the policy and the tick tank. I sit on the cooperative for the United Kingdom, right, as we speak. So therefore, that's why I picked on that. On the aspect of youth, uh, empowering the youth, I want to know what's your organization doing to empower specifically the BAME community youths? In London so far, we have uh, technically the knife crime 
is high in London and the 90% or almost 80% of the night crime. In fact, in the London borough of Enfield, the majority of those that have died as a result of gun, I mean, gun gangs and knife crime, uh, likely people from the BAME community. And not only that, Nigeria topped the list of the 17 that died in London recently. So with your organization, is there any purpose or any resources that you, Iway, is putting in place to support such movements? How to actually reorientate them and bring them back from the gang crime, maybe to have a, a, a maybe vocational program or you work with local organization to have that resources to help? No, uh, that's, that's a really great question. And I'll have a go and a deal will come on the back of my response. Um, because I work in supply chain management, we spend close to 4.5 billion pounds a year through my organization um, to the industry. Collectively across Highways England, we spend about 27.4 billion pounds over the risk period in um, developing our highways and byways across England. So we have enormous collateral in being able to um, direct the construction industry in the UK. Because of that collateral, we have a supply chain of all of the big suppliers out there, the Amy's, the uh, Baffo BT's, you know, the um, Costains, you name it. They all do business with us and we spend billions of pounds with them, with them every year. So we have what we call an engagement council. Within that engagement council, we have a diversity and um, inclusion subgroup who has the responsibilities of working with each of those major construction providers in developing a scheme. Uh, we call it outreach. You know, it's a pathway for young, you know, diverse communities to come together to understand the value, the intrin intrinsic value that can be derived from working in highways. And as you can imagine, um, 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 Ade, um, yeah. being um, being 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 Mr. Additional, being yeah. being Nigerian, um, most of our people are gravitated towards either medicine, being a lawyer, or being an accountant, and that's the focus that most African parents mostly want to direct their children. I was I'm not a doctor, I'm not a lawyer, you know, <laughs> I'm not an accountant, but I can bet you I earn more than my next door neighbor. They are. Uh, a, a, a consultant gynecologist and a heart surgeon. I earn more than the income that both of them earn combined, right? So I, I think me joining that group, going to schools, going to colleges, going to churches and showing them that it's possible for you to become um, somebody of a significant order in society by understanding the variety of roles that exist out there, the varieties of opportunities that exist out there, the opportunities that the construction industry can give to someone to become either a quantity surveyor, to become a financial manager, to become a buyer, to become a project manager, to become whatever they want to be, far surpasses anything else that anyone can do. And I've done this in many parts. You know, I've gone to universities, you know, to talk to over 3,000 students 
of the various pathways and career anchors that exist within the UK civil service. You know, I've presented seminars and workshops in churches. And you can just imagine me, look at me, I'm a tiny looking person standing there telling someone that I'm a senior civil servant, I'm a director in Her Majesty's government, and latterly that I have a CBE from the Queen. You know, I remember presenting in church and two young boys came to me to say, sorry, Dr. Philip, you can't be a senior civil servant and a director because you have to be um, white middle class and a graduate from Oxford or Cambridge. I said, well, I'm none of those people. You know, I was born and brought up in Nigeria. I've had to fight and make my way. And there are many of my type within the civil service who are black from inner cities, you know, that have made it. You can make it if I can make it. So, Mr. Additional, I think that's the only way we can spread the message I to get become positive role models to our children, to those inner city black kids who are into um, courts and gangs and knife crime to say, you can become somebody. You can drive the best car in town. You can live in the best houses in town. You don't have to take to a life of crime. Dee, do you want to add to that at all? Uh, I absolutely agree and believe um, uh, in what you're saying because we need to ensure that our youth do not only want to aspire to bling and only want that car without having to put the hard work in. They need to see people like yourselves and um, uh, uh, anybody that's contributed to uh, uh, the Equality Act because that was such an important act because it made things clearer and specific and it also made organisations uh, realise that they've got to do something in relation to diversity because they were no never doing enough. So um, uh, I think that engaging with the wider community, um, I will definitely want to engage with uh, people like yourselves because uh, when we have big conferences and when we have um, events, we want to invite people like um, uh, those who were involved in the Equality Act, those who are um, have connections um, um, that we would be able to uh, help and influence our organisation and the things that we do and gain the best talent and let people see that uh, you can get into the civil service, you can uh, have a voice and you can uh, be successful, um, but you can't have it straight away. Yeah. You've got to be patient, you've yeah. got to have a plan. Yeah. We were at an event um, a few um, uh, weeks ago and it was, and people say it's not going to happen in three months. You're not going to get it in three months. It could be three years, but yeah. there's always time. Yeah. Uh, you remember in this country, retirement age is 70 plus. Mm -hmm. If you're 55 or if you're 60, you've still got 10 years to give. Yeah. So don't ever think you're too old or don't ever think you're too young because you, if you, you can always attain the qualifications. You can always do that. Philip came into Highways England um, with a doctorate where he's, in, he's, he's um, embarked on additional uh, learning because other people have it and he doesn't want it. He doesn't want anyone to say, you don't have that because you're in this organization. So sorry, you can't be an executive. Uh, so he says, I don't need it, but I'll do it because I don't want to be left behind. 
don't be left behind and see that there are your you know you can reach far and you've got to have that dream yeah. but be patient yeah. I think the key is patience so we we want to engage with other people we want to make sure so after this event um uh, I'll make sure that our contact numbers and details are available you already have Philips and we'll make sure because we're going to do a big event with the remainder of the seven with other um departments in the civil service and it's going to be a big um BAME event and we want inspirational speakers we want people who can influence organizations and incoming talent because they are future leaders yes agree thank, thank you for the extension of the invitation I think, uh, and uh, thank you for the wonderful extension. I think uh, Matilda has got uh, my details and uh, possibly we could exchange that. But uh, Dr. Phillips, there's something that you omitted in what I asked. Perhaps I didn't ask it appropriately, or should I rephrase it? What I'm trying to get at is, does your organization have a budget for a corporate social responsibilities? such as what Matilda is doing now. We could be doing this every day, giving speeches, giving wordings. But sometimes, you know, it goes beyond that, as you said, there will be a, a little bit of a kick on the backside or a project that will enable this youth from the beginning to the end as per uh, uh, Matilda program. One of its programs she's got lined up is to actually not only give them the speech, but to help them develop career path. And this will involve engaging them on a project or on a training or one vocational course or the other. And working with the civil servants and some of these big entities that have big deep pockets would have what we call the corporate social responsibilities budget. Is there anything of that that Matida and the organization, the business, the thing she's trying to promote could be not only talk, but with substance, talk the talk and walk the walk. Because with all this youth, you can tell them as much, but then you need to actually put something on their path, on their way, and so on and so forth. Some of them are ex-offenders from the, some of them are from anywhere whereby the society's already labeled them. And when they have that label, it's difficult for them to move on. But when they get a vocational program, such as what Matilda is proposing, that might be another pathway, a ladder up that you've just encouraging us and encouraging the youth to take on. So therefore, it's, it has two ways and it needs to be it needs to be honest. Is there anything you guys can do to actually ensure the narrative is fully changed, not only in tech, but indeed Sir. Can, I, can I take this one, um, Philip, just to answer even partly? Um, I think there is something that we can do. We can't be specific right at the moment. And we do have an equality, diversity and inclusion budget. So okay. it could be, um, and we also have um, what we class as uh, volunteer days. There are lots of different events. Um, so it would have been... Um, uh, it's useful to have you speaking uh, throughout uh, the civil service and we can um, uh, look at making arrangements to do things like that. But whilst we can't be specific, it's because um, uh, a lot of our organisations, uh, especially one that we're in, have not done things like this before. 
so it takes a while and if you know anything about government they do things at a snail's pace but we are working to do things and we are planning a conference and when we do a big civil service um, and government um, department conference um, if we have your uh, contact details and things like that we can suggest and um, uh, uh, make it an option um, to say, you know, can we invite this organisation or this person, um, you know, it's going to cost so much for them to come and talk and, and say, you know, what's the best way to go through. And at the moment, we don't specifically have a um, a, a programme, uh, a, a talent or, or anything like that programme for a black, Asian, minority and or ethnic um, people or communities. Um, uh, but we are looking doing uh, something like that and even when I'd mentioned to our um, uh, current chairman uh, we want a race champion there's lots of things that we want to do but unfortunately things do take time but it is on our agenda uh, and we will make sure we have your details to see what you can offer us and what we can ask you to do um, okay. And if there is a cost involved, we can talk about that. Okay. All right, Dee. Okay. Well, I think we will continue this conversation offline. So I'm just <laughs> cautious of time. And um, so, Jackson, do you want to chip in? Because again, the youth what is you know mentioned now. So you're at the university. Do you want to chip one or two things in before we round up for tonight, Mr. Jackson? Yeah, yeah I've been on the spot. Um... <laughs> You're on the spot tonight, sorry. <laughs> everything everything has been mentioned like um, tonight, like knowing about the youth system or how, how certain people within our youth system, especially different color or black and different color we label. And mm. then I, I think um, the proposition that they were mentioning about setting a program, that's actually, that's the best way to, if we are, if we're saying that we want to make, we want to bring changes and what practice do we put in place to then implement those changes. So I, I agree with, with um, a doctor and then Dee as well, when she mentioned about, yeah, there, there are uncertainty when you have to go through government. So um, one part I was very happy is like, uh, when she mentioned about the, we call it um, diversity budget. So having to think that, yeah, there are support out there to help people. And then, but with the young people, are we also ready? That's one thing I'm thinking, are we also ready? So there could be a platform there to help us, but how we also, are we ready to receive that? As you mentioned, that it's been working hard. Um, that's many of us are not eager to even go extra mile. So I, I think, yeah, it, uh, I've, I've learned so much today, to be honest, that there's a vast topic, honestly, but with me coming from a university, I think project like this should be pulled down perhaps to to more likely like written for us to understand what plan we have so we can yeah. develop a further and a deeper yeah. understanding. Yeah. Not... Okay. So Mr. Kiwanda, let me let me just respond yeah. to what you said. You're absolutely right in terms of are we ready as black people? To the opportunities that society have to give us. Um, I worked in central government for over 15 years. In that time, you know, we have what we call um, the fast train program. The fast train program is meant to bring in 
young children, young young people from universities who have at least a two-one degree to come into a fostering process into the civil service. Now, those are the people who are going to become the leaders of the UK in future years. You're coming on a £28,000 a year salary. In three years, you rise to as much as £56,000 a year. You would have had training across multiple government departments, right? But the number of applications that come in from bank communities are low. The number of people that get through that selection process are very, 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 very low. So we need to find a way to ensure that we encourage our young children to be able to apply for those schemes when they are open. They have just posted on the instant messaging. We have what are call apprenticeship programs. We have graduate schemes that we can use to bring in young people into various public service organizations. Let's use it, let's support, let's mentor, let's coach our children, our youths, our young ones to engage with this opportunity. Very often our children just shy away from you know, coming to the public sector because they think it's bureaucratic. There's nothing so far from the truth. It's so rewarding doing public service, right? So uh, on the back of my CV, I can tell you, I effected a policy change in the whole of the United Kingdom by driving through a financial inclusion strategy for the UK government. Not many politicians, not many ministers, not many parliamentarians can boast of being able to do such a thing. So there's value in doing public service. Okay. Inesh, do you want to say something? Inesh? Hello? Um, yeah, I, I, I wanted to say something about um, uh, about everything. Like, um, one thing that I wanted to say is uh, the fact that, I don't know, they just talked about, like, those, you know, young people that have degrees. And also, I wanted to ask, like, what about those young people that um, you can see that they don't have the degrees, they don't, they haven't gone to, you know, they haven't done um, good academically, but they can see you, you still see uh, something in them. So, would you guys give them ad, um, advance uh, chances? That's my question. It's very hard. Honestly, I'm not going to lie to you, and Dee might have a perspective on this. If you haven't got the base qualifications to work in the public sector, it's hard because most of what we do is literacy, is numeric. You've got to have that very basic skills to be able to survive. But they have vocational skills elsewhere. You know, you don't necessarily have to be schooled to be able to get into the world of work. You know, so opportunities are there for everyone. But I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. Unless you have the very basic requirements to get into public service jobs is difficult for someone who is not lettered or literate to be able to come in. Midi, you might have a perspective on it. We I think the we're just yeah, quick, uh, quickly, we just yeah, yes, I do. Minutes. Yeah, okay. Sorry. One minute Dee. Yeah, just quickly, yes, I do. And I put something on the chat that um okay. opportunities for learning and development are few and far between. But that's why sometimes it's better to get yourself in the door at whatever level you can. And a lot of our organisations offer free uh, study. Uh, they'll pay for your to have a degree, do a um, project management qualification, do any type of qualification. But um, the, the um, Open University, they have a lot of free courses and programs that will assist you and help you get your foot sometimes in the door. So it's about planning, 
and making sure because um, not everybody has uh, the qualifications and we understand that. Yeah, so I think I'll get more details from you, uh, Dee. So Mr. Akan, do you have anything to say? We just have one minute. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, thank you for having me. It's um, for Dr. Philip. Um, um, thanks for such an impressive uh, CV you've shared with us. My question is, but I know Dee has answered most of these, um, some of these. It's, um, at what point, you know, I know we, what we are listening to tonight is, um, is, the, is the glory part of the career. We haven't story, the uh, grilling part of it. My question is, at what point do you believe, well, you can't push it any longer? You have to leave that space you are and look for opportunities elsewhere. At what point yeah. do you Good question. Yeah. Every time, every time, honestly, you can never be content. Even as I speak to you right now, I'm thinking about my next career. Where do I go from here? Because the moment you become complacent, that's it. You're done. You've written yourself off. Nobody will you know, bother with you. So you have to be in your guard all of the time. Be open to new opportunities. Have a plan. I think Dee mentioned this before. Have a plan. I always have a plan. The moment I start a new job, I begin to develop my exit plan. What's my exit strategy? How do I get out of this role? What's my next goal? Okay. Thank you very much. That was my question. I think you've, uh, you've asked the question, Mr. Akan. Thank you for that. So in a nutshell, uh, I'll get more details for, from Dee. Um, so what advice do you have for the young listeners out there, Mr. Philip? One minute. I, I think I think it's be courageous, be determined, be hardworking, honestly. Be fearless, honestly, because if you don't ask, you're never going to get. You know, I, I, the one thing that I know is I never let an opportunity pass me by. And I've learned that from D as well. D will knock every door down and make sure that that door opens before she gives up. So always be persistent in knocking doors down, but be prepared to be able to ask the right questions and to answer those questions when they're pushed back to you. Okay, thank you, thank you. Thank you for taking our time. Thank you, Akan. Thank you, everyone. It's nine, it's nine o'clock. We promise always one hour. We won't exceed more than this. Uh, Dee, I'll contact you to get those info and I'll pass it to everyone else. Thank you, Mr. Uh, Ade, for taking our time. Akan, Jackson, Inesh, thank you. And thank you again, Dr. Philip. Uh, I think we may have another, you know, invite again in the near future. Um, so um, in the meantime, have a nice evening and have a nice weekend. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Philip. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye, bye, Jackson. Bye. Bye bye. Matilda. Oh,